Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by James Morahan. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. Their technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome James onto the show. James, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. How are we doing? Are you okay? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you very much for saying, spending some time and uh, chatting nutrition for it with us. Yeah, no problem at all. So, in terms of your background and what you've been up to until now, can you give us a quick update as to who you are and what you've done? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, look, my background is I'm a uh, graduate from Liverpool John Moores University, um, where I completed my undergraduate in uh, sport and exercise science. I then went on and studied a master's in sports physiology. And then uh, recently, a couple of years ago, finished my PhD in sports nutrition. Um, so that was all done at, at Liverpool John Moores. And then I'm a full-time employee at the FA with England Football at the moment. So that's where I'm kind of day-to-day practicing performance nutrition. And also working for Science of Sport as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So every, what, every month, um, really kind of nice and enjoy that process actually of, of reviewing the articles, um, keep keeping my head and my eyes in, in the sports nutrition literature. Um, and yeah, reviewing those articles for you guys. So all, all good fun. Fantastic. So in terms of our, our subject for today, that's nutrition for fighters. Can you give us uh, kind of an introduction as to why it's important that fighters have great nutrition. Yeah, so I mean, look, this is um, it's a, a massive area at the moment and a, a really interesting area with a lot of good researchers who are working with with boxers from uh, yeah, or sorry, with fighters from boxers, MMA, judo, etc. But I think the, there's there's a number of areas as to why nutrition is important for a fighter. Um, and just to kind of cover them, them briefly, really, one is the training adaptation that we can get. So, you know, the understanding that nutritional manipulation will support the adaptation and training that the, the fighter will be trying to elicit through that training camp. Um, there's obviously elements of looking after the health and, and wellness of that fighter. So making sure that throughout the camp, the fighter remains fit and, and healthy and, and the immunity is fighting fit, so to speak. Um, you've then got body composition change that you can make gradually over time. So what I'm talking about there is is the decrease in fat mass and potential maintenance increase or decrease in fat-free mass, which when we report that on a DEXA scan would be reported as lean mass. Um, but that that is that gradual change over the course of the camp. And then, of course, you have uh, with that body weight manipulation as well. So the majority of fighters will try and reduce their body weight as they progress through a camp. 
so that they are entering that final week um, as as kind of light as possible for their um, body size, if you like, so that they can then try and uh, manipulate and and um, experience a good weight regain, so that they can go back into the the ring um, in in a, a bit yeah a kind of a, a bigger body state, I guess. So there's um throughout all of that, ideally you're trying to support the fighter um optimally so that they are fueling and recovering from the demands of training whether that's a single double or triple training day and of course um if it's a rest day or a recovery day that's where the nutrition can can play a big part as well because ultimately you know they might not be training that day um so so what sports science discipline can can help that athlete on that particular day and and that's where me being biased to nutrition the nutrition can have a, a massive impact on how they recover from a hard week of training. So, yeah, a n- number of areas there really um, that nutrition can support the fighter. And just very briefly, how does that then differ from other sports? So what what would you then see, for example, in, uh, in rugby or, or football, which is then different? Yeah, so I was thinking about this before I call, mate, and um, it's, it's probably different and not different. Um, so you know different to other team sports i guess because you you've got a fighter that will start a camp normally at a weight that is a lot higher than what they will weigh in at so you've therefore got a weight target that the individual is trying to achieve throughout that 6 or 12 week uh, training camp um which is different to team sports but then it it's not different to other sports because there's also a lot of other sports that that have weight targets um, for the for the individual. That might be other uh, fighting and combat sports, or you know it might be a, a physique athlete that identifies that there's a specific weight on the scale that they want to be before they then go and represent themselves at a competition where they're getting judged on aesthetics, for example. So it is different, and it and it's not different. I think the overriding message here is that. The, the fundamentals of sports nutrition and performance nutrition, when you understand them, them well enough and you then have the ability to apply those fundamental uh, di- um, principles of sports nutrition to the individual athlete that's standing in front of you. So that's where you then have to start understanding the, the training demands of that particular sport, the uh, competition demands of that particular sport. You know, are they going and, and performing a, a 20 mile run or are they playing 90 minutes of football or 80 minutes of rugby? So, yeah, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with you there, if I'm honest. It, it is different, but it's not different at the same time. I think it's it's nice to hear the, the similarities and the differences. It certainly puts it into context and makes it a little bit interesting to, to see the differences. Um, so in terms of key recommendations for fighters, what kind of macronutrient intake should they be hitting on different days? Yeah, so I mean, this this is again is is such a um, general question, I guess, because you know every single day in a in a fighter's camp will will be different to some extent. Now, I'll give you an example of fighters I've worked with in the past. They they may have on a Monday just a simple sparring session that is you know an hour kind of midday, um, and that's all they're going to do that day. You know, Tuesday might then turn into a morning run, followed by strength at lunchtime and then pad work in the evening. Wednesday may be 
a strength in the morning followed by runs in the afternoon. So the, the kind of general, um, nutritional recommendations, um, it is different every day. Having said that, there's a really good, um, article by a good friend of mine and colleague, um, Dr. Carl Evans, um, where he, he talks about the body composition change, the gradual dieting and nutritional recommendations for, um, weight making athletes and and in that in that paper from Carl he talks about this model of uh, 321 and so that would be 3 grams per kilogram of body weight for carbohydrate intake the 2 would therefore represent protein so 2 gram per kilo of protein um per body weight per day and then the 1 gram is of course then 1 gram of fat um per kilogram of body weight per day and that that's quite a nice model or framework to follow that that Cole speaks about. Um, quite easy to remember, three, two, one. And 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 what I found a lot of the time I've worked with these athletes is that if you if you get carbohydrate and protein right, then the fat normally tends to take care of itself. So I would therefore focus with fighters to say, right, how can we really make sure that if if you're telling me this is what your day looks like tomorrow. How can I make sure that you're fueled adequately enough before training and therefore we're, we're refueling adequately enough after training so that you're recovering with carbohydrate content? And then how can we make sure that you're getting enough protein content pre and post sessions and, and importantly before we go to sleep to make sure that we're hitting that two gram per kilo for protein? And I think that's where, you know, performance nutritionists working with fighters you you've almost got to be there every single day with them because you're you really have to coach them um but not hold their hands because they don't that's that's not kind of the right way to frame it up but you've you've just got to be there with them every step of the way because there may be a last minute spa session that that gets called in and they want to take the spa because they need to prepare themselves for the fight but because it's last minute they may not have prepared adequately enough the day before so what can you then do on on the morning of the spa to help them and make sure they've they've got the energy for that spa session so um yeah the the kind of overview of nutrition i would say is 321 um but then really the the success i've had is actually almost day to day meal by meal performance nutrition to make sure that we are hitting those areas that we discussed in question 1 which was manipulating body composition correctly making sure that body weight is coming down over the duration of the camp, supporting the immunity and the, the health and wellness, and of course, trying to elicit adaptation to training, which we know nutrition has a massive impact on. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. I think that's super interesting, and it leads us nicely on to the next question. So when, when they are looking to make weight as such, what are the key things that you're looking at during that phase? Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me, the, I, I think it's important at this point to 
understand that we're now entering the kind of fight week nutrition, I guess. So before that, we, we have this period of, you know, 10 weeks out to arguably one week out. That nine week period, if that was the length of your camp, would be the gradual body composition change. So that is what can we change over time in a safe and effective manner. Then what we now enter is this fight week. And it's, it's almost like you, you've done the preseason period. You're now entering, you know, the first week, the first game of in season. And that's, that's how I've termed it with some of the fighters I've worked with. You've, you've now got this fight week nutrition. And, and in that week, that's where nutrition arguably is, is the biggest factor that's going to help that individual make the weight that they need to make. So in particular, we can play around with things like gut content manipulation. We can play around with body water manipulation and we can explore and, and try and not try, but we can explore and, and deliver on sweating methods as well. So active sweating, passive sweating. So there's a number of different methods that we can use to allow the individual to, to make the weight that they need to that week. But I think from almost kind of seven days out to five days out, what we should really be focusing on is just a, a slight reduction in the nutritional intake so that we can prepare the athlete to the best of their ability so that when they then enter the final 24 to 48 hours, which is what we would term in the literature as acute weight loss, they're, they're in the best possible they, position they can be in. Um, and, and it's that acute weight loss which is is ultimately make or break that's that's where you're going to make the weight or or not make the weight but before that you have to have gone through a really good kind of pre-season period so to speak um entering that final week in a very very healthy and optimal position so that when we do approach the acute weight loss you've got a an athlete that is well nourished they're they're you know fully hydrated and and they're good to to make that final cut over the 24 48 hour period and in terms of that last little period, what does that look like in terms of nutrition content? Yeah, so depending on, and again, this is where it's highly individual to your athlete, depending on what weight your athlete is is sitting at would then give you a, a, a good um, indication as to what um, changes in nutrition need to, ha- need to happen. So... Um, you know, if, if they're, for example, a, a kilo above the weight that they need to be be at, then you could argue actually that they they can continue consuming nutritional intake, probably in the region of what their resting metabolic rate is, because you know, having worked with fighters and and anyone that's into fighting and and reads the literature, you know, you will understand that. Losing a kilo of, of body weight the morning of weighing is relatively easy because, you know, that, that could either be, um, movement of the guts. It could be, uh, a little bit of mild dehydration where we maybe lose less than 3% body mass loss. Um, you know, which could happen after a 30 minute run on the treadmill. Um, or we could look at, um, some sweating methods in terms of, uh, sitting in a sauna or, or, um, a hot bath, for example, and after a while you would begin to sweat. So it's, it's really individual, if I'm honest, um, mate. And so I think it, it comes down to where, where your athlete is, is sitting at. Um, and then what method that you, you might begin to, to use. So 
you know, in, in, in summary on that final week, you can begin to do food restriction, fiber restriction, moderate, mild dehydration, fluid restriction, glycogen depletion. So we, we, you know, take the carbohydrates down so that we've got less glycogen pooling within the muscle. And then of course you're active and passive sweating. Um, but you know, I've, I've worked with boxers in the past where we've comfortably lost 2.4, 2.6 kilos on the morning of the weigh-in. Um, and, and that's been through an, a, a multiple, um, array of, of techniques, including reducing energy intake right down so that the individual might have just had, um, you know, an omelette in the morning and then a black coffee. And then you begin your sweating technique so for that individual it was on the treadmill with a hoodie and some trousers on um and restricting fluid very acutely um and and hey presto the the two and a half kilo has, has come off straight away so and and just i suppose i know we've got a lot of team sport people listening to this uh, a great example is when i worked in rugby you know it wouldn't be um it wouldn't surprise me and it wouldn't surprise the rugby players if the, after an 80 minute game they lost two kilos and, and that was simply two kilos of sweating. But you would never ever look at that athlete on a rugby pitch and go, Oh my God, you've, you've forcibly gone through horrible sweating techniques. It, it wasn't that at all. It was just the fact that he had sweated during an 80 minute rugby game. And then what do you do following the rugby game? You know, your advice is, right, guys, let, let's try and, um, re- replenish the fluids that we've lost, get them back into the body using the evidence based literature. And then we can go and look at um, refueling with the food. So really, it's no different on the morning of a an acute weight loss like that with um, some of the boxes I've worked with in the past. What you're trying to do is is get them sweating, and you're trying to do it as as, as acute as possible, so that it doesn't therefore become days and days and days of dehydration. And that's why I said earlier it's really important that as you approach that final 24, 48 hour period, you've got you've actually got an athlete that is, is you know full of fluid they haven't done any form of dehydration yet and, and they're actually ready to go and sweat mate absolutely fantastic so in terms of bringing this together with a practical example could you give us a quick run through of how you would then prepare an athlete of yours or maybe you've done it previously for a fight yeah so i mean there's loads of things to cover here but i'll keep it quite brief i think the the First thing that needs to happen is we test. So access to a university uh, would be key here. And, and we were fortunate when I was at Liverpool John Moores that we had the access to the labs up there. So I would bring it, I'll be bringing that athlete in at the start, performing a full needs analysis, you know, it, sitting down with the individual athlete, asking them how they're feeling, you know, what's the target for the camp? What is the goal? You know, where do we want to be from a body composition point of view? What weight do you want to be at certain times points throughout the camp? Um, and with that, you know, things like resting metabolic rate, DEXA testing so that we can understand body composition, VO2 maxes, you know, lactate thresholds, all of these things are going to be key to collect at the start and then to collect throughout the camp as well. Um, because having those numbers and having the data is, is going to be instrumental to you then prescribing a very tight and supportive nutritional strategy. So I initially would test, I would get them in the lab, perform a needs analysis, discuss those body weight targets, look at the body composition change. You know, this is how much fat mass we've currently got. So this is how much we could we could lose 
over the course of the coming weeks that's in line with the evidence-based literature, building that nutritional plan to support those targets. And then with that as well, you can be clever about how easy you make that for the athlete. So I've utilized very successfully in the past in preparation, uh, food preparation companies. So giving them the macronutrients that I need each meal to be, they would then do it in their kitchens and then bang, it's sent straight to the athlete. That takes out quite a bit of onus for that individual athlete in their preparation for the uh, the weight targets because they don't have to prepare the food. Um, and then building that nutritional plan around those main bulk meals as well. So, you know, if you've got a lunch and a dinner that's provided, using our skills as performance nutritionists, how do we now build the nutritional plan around those two bulk meals to make sure they're hitting the calorie intake that they need that is therefore aligned to their resting metabolic rate and taking consideration of the training that they're doing that day. Um, that can also include sports food and supplement support as well. And I think at this point, it's really important just to remember that all sports food and supplement really should be evidence-based. We shouldn't be going down the, you know, getting caught up in, in supplements that might not have the evidence supporting it. Um, and with that important that they are informed sport or an equivalent kind of registered body. I personally like to hold all of those batch certificates myself. Um, again, to take the onus off of the athlete. You know, I, I'm working with them. I will look after all of that so that if ever we need them, I can produce them. And that happened in uh, New York for Rocky's fight. Um, you know, I, I was asked to provide a list of sports food and supplements that Rocky was taking. So I had that ready. And then I think, you know, monitor, test and monitor throughout. You know, it's so important that we constantly look at where body weight is, refine it. You know, are we, are we going up? Are we, are we plateauing? Do we need to manipulate nutrition a little bit more to, to bring the body weight back down? Um, and then of course there, there may be an element in there of travel. So once you've kind of mastered all of that, you can then begin to focus on, okay, we've done the preseason period. Now let's sit down again. Let's have a meeting. Let's look at where we are body composition wise. How are you feeling? Now are we good to attack? the final week in terms of that fight week nutrition and then of course importantly the acute weight loss area great absolutely fantastic description love it so in terms of rounding off we want to ask you the most difficult question which we could uh, think of and that's what is the one thing that you see or do differently which the rest of the world can learn from yeah it's a really tough question this and I don't know whether I like how it's been framed, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, it puts pressure on you as well. What yeah, can the world does. learn from you? It does. And I, you know, I don't think, I wouldn't say the world can learn anything from me, but one thing I would say is what, what I've learned from myself over the, the last kind of couple of years. And, you know, I'm, I'm massively a, a glass half full type of person. Um, and, what I have learned recently is is to process the situation for what it is. Um, and I don't mind talking about it. A good example is when I lost my father to a, a fatal cardiac arrest just over two years ago. And and when you're put in that situation, um, you you know, you have no choice but to to process the situation as quick as possible so that you can then try and formalize or, or formulate a a path out of this this terrible period in your life um but f through all that you know 
I've always, always, always had that glass half full. You know, it, it was the worst period of my life to date. But maintaining the fact that things will get better, things will improve and they will progress forward always allowed me to kind of process that whole situation and and um and get myself onto the path of recovery i guess so i think irrespective of whether it's grieving or whether it's um you know tough periods of someone's life in terms of they need a bit of resilience and their back you know bounce back ability i think processing the situation for what it is can be really important especially in in the kind of times that we're all in at the moment you know i'm i'm confident that this is a period that we've all got to kind of rip in and, and dig in deep, but we will get through it and it's just maintaining that kind of positivity with it all. Um, so I don't, I don't think the world can learn from that, but it, it's something I constantly remind myself of personally. Mate, I think that's a, a really fantastic piece of advice. So James, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on soon. Yeah, all good. No worries and take care. Look after yourself. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to James for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you did at home too. And before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our free-to-download Performance Digest issue. That is 19 of the latest sports science articles summarized in our monthly e-magazine. Very simply, our crack team of experts select the best articles that they can find in the last month. They summarize them using key points and practical advice. And they make sure that you can save a ton of time instead of searching on PubMed or Google Scholar, wherever you happen to do that. So if you want to save a load of time, and if you're interested in the things which James has said today, then you can see how he reviews in the Performance Digest for free by clicking the link in the show notes. And the last thing I want you to do before you leave is, and as a last request from me, if you could just hit the subscribe button on whichever sender you're listening to, that helps us spread the great word of the podcast and ensures that you won't miss out on next week's episode, which is with the excellent Dr. Pat Davidson, who's going to discuss movement optimization. Pat goes into some great depth, including looking at how breathing affects movement. So if you're interested in that one, hit subscribe and make sure you don't miss it next week. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.